My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, um, I have one daughter. She is currently 19 years old. Um, I got pregnant with her a few months after I graduated high school at 18 years old. Um, I was 19 when she was born. I've been a single mother the entire time. Um, and I currently work full time in the law enforcement field. Wow, okay. So I, I know I've had a lot of requests for the single moms. Um, so that's gonna be really, really helpful for people. So let's just go back and talk to me about kind of your general adjustment to motherhood. It happened, it seemed like when you were young and you've been single. So talk to me just about the general adjustment to either being pregnant and or motherhood in general. Um, as far as like the adjustment and stuff goes, I really didn't know any better. So I just kind of took it one day at a time. And I never really I never really second guessed it at all. Um, I did a teen pregnancy class when um, I was pregnant um, through the hospital where I had my daughter. Um, I, it was an adjustment as far as friends go, just for the fact that my friends were all in high school or just graduated and they were all going off to college or parties and things like that. And obviously I couldn't do that. Um, so I guess I mostly just focused with myself and my pregnancy and making sure that um, I did what I needed to do to become, you know, a good mom. And I focused on uh, just education more or less and um, regarding my pregnancy and how to raise my daughter. Mm -hmm. So you just tried to do whatever you could, it seems, to become more educated, to mm -hmm. find that support. What was your support like as far as your family goes? Because I know you said that you know, you were on your own as far as your partner went. So what was your other support system like? Um, so I had my, my parents, I lived at home. Um, I have one sister and I have one brother. My sister was 17 at the time and my brother was 14. So they were still at home as well. Um, my mom, when I told her she was crying and she, it was really upsetting for her, but she helped me. My dad on the, at first, did not talk to me. And that was hard because we would be in the same house. He'd be like, can you tell Megan to pass the butter? Can you tell Megan this? So it was hard because he was really disappointed because of my age and not being married. He didn't think it was appropriate to have children without being married. Um, but then once I had my first ultrasound and I put the picture up on the fridge, then he started coming around and then he 
he got over it and then he was really super excited to become a, a grandpa and to, you know, he really wanted me to have a daughter and he actually was my support during my teen pregnancy class because I didn't have my daughter's father there. And uh, my parents pretty much have been my rock the entire time still to this day um, because they helped me raise my daughter. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. I know it must have been really hard having him refer to you in third person. That's yes. Had to have been really difficult. And obviously you remember it to this day, but it's wonderful that it seemed like it kind of turned around and they were able to be really supportive of you. Um, so yeah, let's talk about when you first had the baby. So you talked to us about your pregnancy and those classes a little bit. What about when your daughter arrived? What was that like for you? Um, I was super excited and I was so scared. Like I always knew she was going to come out at some point and that I was going to give birth, but it always seemed so far away that it never felt like the day was coming. And so then, um, I went to a doctor appointment and I was, it was about three to four weeks early and I went for a doctor appointment. I just said to them, you know, she hasn't been moving around as much. And they gave me an ultrasound and I didn't realize they like score points with ultrasounds and she only scored like half the points that needed. So they sent me to the hospital right away. So I was at the hospital and they're like, we're just going to keep monitoring you. You know, you'll be able to go home in a little while. And, uh, they came back shortly later and they're like, nope, you're staying. We're gonna, you're going to have the baby in the morning. We're going to induce you. I ended up getting toxemia. And I was like in shock because I still thought I had like, you know, about three, four weeks to kind of plan and get there. And we didn't have the crib set up yet. We didn't have a lot of the stuff, you know, like the final things done yet. So I was in the hospital and then my parents raced home to get the crib up and get everything situated and then get me like a to-go bag and bring it to the hospital and everything. Um, so my labor and everything went really good. And I think that's maybe why I don't want to have more kids because I don't want to push it because like I was in labor for about eight hours, but I only had to push for about 20 minutes and I had an epidural and everything went good. So it was a very easy labor and stuff for me compared to what a lot of other people go through. Mm -hmm. um, but the pregnancy in general was a little hard. They considered me high risk because of my age. And um, I probably should have started with this, but my daughter's father was abusive um, during my pregnancy. And so um, I had to have a, a couple more like doctor appointments and things like that um, because of it. Um, so it was hard because he was never there and we were actually going through court proceedings because he was being charged with battery to me. Um, because actually it was battery to a fetus because I was pregnant at the time. So really I only had my family to, and my couple of my friends to rely on during my, during my pregnancy with, with her. That's why I strive so much for the education and, you know, making sure that I was healthy during my pregnancy because I didn't want any problems when, when she was born. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's really, really scary. And just the ongoing mm -hmm. issues, I'm sure after she was born, um, what was it like just dealing with the ongoing issues of the biological father? Um, well, I still was dealing, um, with, dealing with them until she turned 18. Um, it was hard because I didn't have 
somebody else. I didn't have another, you know, like my spouse or the father or anything like that to help me. So it was pretty much just on me. I didn't have another income coming in to help financially either. He never paid child support. Um, and then he went to jail um, for the battery for like the first, I want to say like nine months after she was born. Um, but then he was in and out of jail and prison pretty much her entire life so far. So he had a lot of OWI charges and things like that. So he's been, he hasn't been in the picture to begin with until she was about right, right before she turned 17 years old, the courts never gave him any rights. So I had full custody. I had full placement. Um, he was always able to take me for visitation rights, but he never did. Um, even when he would sometimes write from prison or from jail and try and get information on her, but it wasn't, it was more or less him trying to get back with me a lot of the times or like they would just be inappropriate messages like that, you know, cause I wasn't interested in him like that anymore. And I didn't want any kind of relationship with him, but he, he would apologize for his behavior and said he was emotionally dependent on me. And he said that he took parenting lessons in prison and things like that. But that still doesn't make you a parent. And I told him that if he wanted to have any kind of relationship with her, he needed to show me that he was responsible, that he was working, that he was going to be able to support her, that he would have a stable um, home environment, you know, like basic things for a child. And he was never able to do that or provide that. And I did allow him to see her once when she was five. But then afterwards, I found out that from somebody else that he wanted to kidnap her, actually, and he was going to take her up, up north by his family. And he ended up chickening out, I guess, at the last minute. And he was more afraid because my dad is a was a deputy at the time, and he was terrified of my dad and what would happen. So thankfully, I had that on my side because it never happened. But after that, I was just extremely scared to allow him around her unsupervised. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I can totally imagine. And my gosh, I just, I think of so much of our material is about like sharing that mental load with the father and mm -hmm. issues relationship wise with the father and how, how that dynamic can be so dramatically changed once you have a baby. And yep. we've had women on the podcast before who are single moms, but you know, it's, it's not quite this type of situation where they've always done it by themselves. Um, so this is really unique in that I want to, I want to be sure that we're helping other moms who might be in the same situation. So I guess just like, what was it like mothering by yourself for those? Like, I mean, now up until 18, 19 years now, like, what was that mm -hmm. like for you? It was hard because I, I had to work full time. I didn't get government assistance or anything like that. The only thing I was able to qualify for when she was a baby was childcare assistance. And at the time I was, like I said, I was 19 years old. I was working in fast food. Um, I was working 12 hour shifts. So I relied on my parents to help like every day because I couldn't afford daycare, but I couldn't afford not to work. Mm -hmm. because then I couldn't afford her. So it was like a vicious cycle of, I didn't know what else to do. And thank God I had my parents there and they arranged with their work schedules and helped out. And the child care assistance helped because it was so expensive. And I can't even imagine what childcare is like now. But when I had my daughter, I mean, we were looking at about $400 a week full time in childcare. And I was making $9 an hour. Right. So there is no way I would have been able to do that. Um, 
So I was very grateful for child care assistance. Um, but the entire time I've had to work. So I went to school full time. I worked full time. I also had a part time job at another police department. And I just had to keep fighting through it. And it was hard because a lot of other people would pass judgment because I was so young. That was another thing during my pregnancy was I didn't start showing till I was about six months along. I was very lucky, I guess, that way. But then a lot of people would have their snide comments. Um, I got a lot of comments when I was at, when I actually had my daughter. The nurses at the hospital were like, "Oh, I can't believe so many people are here, and you know she should be ashamed or she should be, you know, hiding this." And I wasn't like that, mm-hmm. and I couldn't believe they would say that because I had a lot of support and I had a lot of people coming to visit and stuff. But even you know when I had my daughter so young people would have their comments about it or oh well you're not being a good mom you're always gone you're always working but i didn't have another choice because i didn't even get child support and at the time his child support was forty dollars a week so for a newborn if he was even going to pay me i was only getting forty dollars that maybe would have paid for two cans of formula right if that so i mean i was even if i was getting child support i wasn't getting anything that would even like pay for half the cost of her yeah, it wasn't um, even a drop in the bucket. No. So I had to keep working. And luckily, you know, I focused on getting a career and starting that. And it took a while, you know, like with schooling and everything else. Um, but it was worth it. But at the same time, I had to kind of forego being at home. And, you know, I think a lot of people get a bad rap if they work, especially mothers. But I mean, if I didn't, I'd have to be on government assistance and then I wasn't getting anywhere either. So I, I didn't know what else to do. So I just had to keep stuck in a rock between a rock and a hard place. It's just awful. Yeah. So, I mean, I've had to work and it, it caused a lot of problems because unfortunately in my field, you're pretty much stuck on second or third shift for a long time because it goes by seniority. So for my daughter and stuff, I was always on second shift for most of most of her childhood so when she did get to school she'd be in school all day and by the time she got home I would be at work Mm -hmm. so I really wouldn't see her except for when I'd get home from work at 11 o'clock at night but she'd be sleeping or on my off days or if I had any benefit time so I did miss out on a lot of stuff because of that but in the long end it was the best thing for us Um, but it took away a lot also from when she was little. Yeah, I'm sure. I can't even imagine. Oh my goodness. You were just stuck and you did the best that you possibly could. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you co- help your daughter cope with the experience of not having a, another parent around? How did you have those conversations with her? What was that like for you guys? So I never told her about her dad or about what his behavior was like because I didn't want her knowing. And so I just kept it very vague. I said, you know, your dad loves you, but he's not here. He's somewhere else. Or he, you know, I didn't, we didn't really talk about it much. And she never really brought him up. It would, sometimes he would send the letters, but I never gave her those letters because like I said, a lot of them were like about him in prison. And I didn't want her really knowing that. And some of them also said, you know, I love your mom and I hope we can be a family. And I didn't want that going into her head thinking like, oh, well, if, if you just start dating him again, or, you know, we'll be a family again kind of thing. So she, she would ask about him from time to time, but it never got brought up. Mm 
but she also had the the conception that like when she would see her her friends go like going to their dads for the weekend oh well we get to go to our dads and we're gonna do this fun stuff and we're gonna go all these places and I tried telling her that that's not what's gonna happen if you saw your dad you can't compare you know what you think is gonna happen with your dad to your friends dads because it's completely different and so as she started getting older, um, then she started saying, well, I want to see my dad. And I, you know, and when she was five, like I said, I allowed her to see him the one time. But after that, um, we actually set up a second time and that's when he never showed. And that's when I found out that second time is when he wanted to kidnap her. Um, but for her, I just tried telling her that he's not stable, that he's not in a good place yet, that once you know, that he's trying, but every time like it would come up, he'd be back in jail or he'd be back in prison for years. So luckily because he was in prison for, he went twice or three times now. So he, you know, at least those times he was in there for two years at a time, three years at a time that it kind of spaced it out for me. Um, but now that she's older and she did get to see him and she found out what he's really like, she now knows why it wasn't a good idea for him to be in her life when she was little. And she realizes now that it's not what she thought it was going to be. Yeah. I'm sure once she got more of the big picture, she was able to see a little bit more of where you were coming from. I'm hitting the pause button quick to share with you guys a product that my family absolutely loves. Magic Spoon is a protein-packed, delicious adult version of some of our favorite childhood cereals. It's a healthy cereal that seriously tastes too good to be true. Each serving has about 11 grams of protein per serving, compared to those other cereals that only have one or two grams of protein per serving. Each serving also only contains three net carbs, compared to an average of 24 net carbs per serving with other cereals. Magic Spoon cereals are also grain-free, gluten-free, and free of artificial sweeteners and other funky ingredients. They have flavors like cocoa, fruity, frosted, blueberry, honey nut, and my favorite, peanut butter. Give it a try at magicspoon.com and enter Jenna Overbaugh, one word, for free shipping on me. Happiness 100% guaranteed. Yeah, in addition to all of that, you also mentioned just having to deal with a lot of medical issues and some mental health issues. So if you don't mind, could you talk to our listeners a little bit more about that? Yeah. So my daughter, so she didn't sleep through the night until she was three years old. She was up every two hours for three years, which is probably why I never had more kids either because I did not want to go through that again. <laughs> it was, it was rough. So I think because of that, though, that's why I don't sleep. I, I only need about two, three hours of sleep and I can function. And I think it's from all those years of her also, like with just not sleeping. But I always knew something was kind of off about her, but I couldn't really tell what. She was very colicky as a baby. She was a handful. She wasn't easy. She had a lot of medical issues. When she was three months old, we found out she had kidney reflux grade two. She had to be on medicine every single day until she was five. She had two surgeries um, for her kidneys. So the way it works is her tubes down there, like when she would urinate, there was a gap. So when she would urinate, instead of it flowing through the tube, it would come out and it would go into like her kidneys there, which would lead to kidney problems. And be, um, grade four is the highest. That's where you would need like a kidney transplant. But she was only at a stage two. 
So she got bladder infections a lot. We always had to be monitoring her and we tried two surgical procedures, but neither of them worked. So that's why she had to keep just staying on um, sulfa for the first five years and then she finally outgrew it. Um, but she had chronic ear infections. She had her first set of tubes when she was eight months old. Um, she has been through every antibiotic, every procedure. I mean, it was just, we lived at the doctor's office. They knew us by name. I could just call and say my first name and they knew who I was. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but everybody knew us. We were in and out of children's hospital. We were in and out of Aurora doctor facilities. Um, but I started noticing behavior issues with her when she was around two years old. Um, she is highly intelligent. She is, um, actually she had a, um, what's it called? Like a, um, when, when she was like 17, she had to have like a thing done with a psychologist and they did a, um, a psych eval? Were, they did a psyche veil, but they tested her IQ. And okay. I don't know what the name of the test was, but it was an IQ test and she was five points away from genius level. So she is extremely smart. I mean, she was putting together puzzles by the time she was two, three years old. She was reading by the time she was four or five. So she was super smart, but socially she was different. Um, she had a hard time adjusting and I don't know if that's because she was in daycare the whole time. Um, we had some issues at some of the daycare she was at. Um, but I started noticing behavior problems with her. And by the time she was five, I had to put her in therapy and treatment because I couldn't control her anymore. Like her, she was still having temper tantrums at four or five years old and I needed help. So I was nervous about it because I didn't want the stigma of, you know, like going and asking for help and like them diagnosing her with something or, you know, like I felt like it was a failure on my part but I needed to do it because I didn't know what else to do. My parents and I just, we couldn't control her. Um, so we took her in and um, she's been diagnosed with a few things over the years. Um, pretty much her main diagnosis were like oppositional defiance disorder, which when she was older turned into a conduct disorder. She had ADHD, she had OCD, she had separation anxiety. Um, in third grade, she developed trichotillomania and was pulling out her hair. Um, and then when she had her psyche veil done, when, um, when we had to go through the court process, when she was like 17, they said um, she had DMDD, which, is, which I know is a newer diagnosis, which is like disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, I think it's called. Um, and they also said that because of her age, they couldn't diagnose it, but she was presenting as having a personality disorder, um, but that she would have to wait till she was a little older, but they were saying she was presenting as antisocial and or borderline personality disorder. So we've had her in therapy, you know, like I said, since the age of five, she was on medications. Um, we the medications seem to help, but some of them, we put her on an antipsychotic to help with one of hers, and it just made her gain so much weight that we had to take her off of it. Um, she didn't like taking meds. She, we used to have to fight with her to take meds because she, she's been on meds since she was a baby because of her other medical issues. She was just done with wanting to take medications. But then at the age of 14, we found out that she can, she can stop her medications and that at the age of 14, they can make their children are allowed to make their own mental health decisions. And the therapist and the psychiatrist had told her this and she stopped taking her meds. 
and that's when a lot of the problems started even more because she refused and I we couldn't do anything about it Mm -hmm. um she's been to Aurora Psych she's been to Milwaukee Mental Health Complex she's been to Rogers I had her in day treatment programs um she was on a chapter 51 um, when she was 17 um, after some SU statements and attempts. Um, and then they had her on a commitment order afterwards for a little while. So, I mean, I've been through the entire process of everything with her. And the thing is in this county, in Waukesha County, there is nothing for teenagers or children with mental health issues. The only place is Rogers and it's private insurance and it's very expensive but you have to meet certain criteria and a lot of times like I just felt I felt defeated because I didn't know what to do with her because nobody could help me and like even when I'd send her to the treatment centers like at the age of 14 she could take herself out because she can make her own mental health decisions which I still just baffles me that the law even allows that that it should be up to a parent I mean, at 14, you can't make your own medical and mental health decisions. So it was hard because I'd put her in there and get help. And then within a day, she'd check herself out. And unless you have a court order forcing them in there, which is extremely hard to get, you know, it, there wasn't much I could do, but I've tried every avenue for her. So I've been through it all with her and I tried her in group therapy. She's been in individual therapy. We did family therapy for a little while. Um, but yeah, it's just been an ongoing issue with it. And it's, I never thought I, I would have a child like that. You know, like you, you never think of those things like when I you first had her. You never it that way. Yeah, I never pictured it. So I never thought of that. And then it was a new struggle every time. But, you know, I wouldn't change it now. You know, it's just, you don't think of those things when, when you first become a parent. You think everything's going to be great and your kid's going to be, I guess what you would call normal, you know, like, so it was, it was a new thing and being so young and trying to know what to do and get programs out there. And, and they're so expensive as well, you know, is just trying to do what's best for your child and you hope you don't make the wrong choice. Constantly. Right. It's like mm -hmm. the ongoing debacle that is motherhood is like, there's no right way to do it. Like we, it would just be great if there was like a recipe to follow, right? And if there's not, yes. there's no right way to do it. And it's just a, an infinite amount of trying your best and it still feels like it's a big failure sometimes. Yes, um, and I know for my daughter, she, a lot of it, she blamed on me because I was never home. She said a lot of it was she thought if she misbehaved and acted out that I would quit my job so I could stay home with her. And that just like breaks my heart, you know, and it's just, and I would try telling her, you know, like, I don't, I'm not away because I want to be away. I'm not working because I want to work. I'm working so I can support you so we can have a roof over our house or a roof over our head and that you have food on the table and you have clothes and you, you know, you can go on field trips and do, th you know, that we can do things, you know. So it was, it's hard because she still struggles with it to this day. She still thinks that, you know, well, if you, I guess it's hard because she still blames me for a lot of the issues because her dad wasn't there and that I wasn't there. And she always saw her friends, the moms would be stay at home moms. So they would be home all day. And, you know, she has, she has this different picture in her head of what, instead of what reality really is. Yeah. That has to be really difficult for both of you. 
Yeah. Again, you made the best decisions that you could make in that, in those difficult moments that you were in. And it's got to just be heartbreaking knowing that, knowing logically that you did everything that you possibly could, but emotionally mm-hmm. just feeling that heartbreak. So I feel yeah. like um, so we're, talk about where you guys are at now. She's 19. You talked about having an empty nest. So I just want to know what this is like, because I'm sure so many other moms out there are empty nesters and just you wanting to, you, you don't want any more children, you said, but just wanting to focus mm-hmm. on getting yourself back on track. So talking about having an empty nest, what that's like for you, any other advice for empty nesters, and then what it's like not wanting any more children, but trying to get yourself back on track. Um, so my daughter moved out of the house when she, on her 18th birthday, actually. Um, so she's been out of the house for a year now. Um, our relationship has gotten a lot better. Um, I probably... I forgot to say this before, but her dad came back into the picture when she was about 17 and she was running away and she was causing some problems. So I got the juvenile court system involved because I wanted her to have consequences and I didn't want her to think that she could do whatever she wanted and that, you know, that there was not going to be a consequence for it because everything I tried at home just wasn't working. So because I got the court system involved, they had to contact her dad. So he got involved when she was 17 through the system. And that's when a court battle started because he wanted, he wanted her. And we found out later on, it, he really didn't want her. He, he didn't want to pay child support anymore. And he wanted me to pay him because he currently owes me around $35,000 in back support after the past 18 years, 19 years now. So um, he became involved while he was allowing her to do whatever she wanted. So we found out he was providing alcohol and drugs and she was having boys spend the night and she didn't even have to come home at his house. And my family and everyone said, just let her go. Let, let him deal with her. Let, let her find out the hard way, what it's like. And, and just let her go because I mean, it turned into a bad court deal where she, she was making up lies about me in court saying I was abusive towards her. She was saying that, you know, saying whatever she could to try and get the courts to believe her so she could go stay with her dad. Because her dad, even though he told the courts and us that he had rules and that he was going to be a good parent and all that, he he did something completely different in, in his household. So for the last two years, it's been rough um, because we were battling it out in court. And then he started having, I kept custody of her, but we shared placement. So it was hard because at my house, I have a lot of rules. You're not going to be out till two o'clock in the morning. You're not allowed to have boys over. You're not allowed to drink. You're not allowed to do drugs. You know, like I want to know who you're with, you know, and it was different because at her dad's house, she could get away with all that and he didn't care. And so she, she blamed me for a lot of it. So we had a very hard relationship for the last couple of years. And then Finally, when she turned 18, she moved out. And actually, our relationship got a lot better when she moved out. Um, we talk a lot more. She's, um, she's understanding a lot more. She's come around. Um, but I think what it came down to was that time with her staying with her dad. She realized exactly the kind of person that her dad is. And unfortunately, he's a scam artist. He, he lives off the government with whatever he can. He tries to you know, um, pull things over on people and scam people. And she finally realized what it was in that the minute she turned 18, he's pretty much had nothing to do with her. 
And because he knew the paycheck, you know, the money was that was coming in for having her at his home stopped. So they barely have a relationship anymore. I think she says she's talked to him maybe once a month, if that, maybe once every couple months. He didn't even call her for her birthday. And she she remembers that. So she now, our relationship has gone better where she's starting to appreciate and seeing everything that I've done for her over the years. She still hasn't apologized for her behavior and I don't expect her to. I figure maybe as she gets older, she will. But with her mental illness, I don't think, I don't think she'll ever get to that point either, but it's definitely a lot better for us. But I think because of being a single mom the entire time and dealing with her and her medical and her mental health issues that I never wanted more children. I, I couldn't, she took everything from me that I, she was my main focus that like, I didn't go out with friends. I didn't have a personal life. I'd go out here and there maybe, but I never dated. Um, I never wanted men to come into my home or for her to think, you know, like, oh, he's going to stay. And then if we break up or something like that. So she's never known me to have a relationship. She's never met any, any men like that. Um, plus with her dad not being in the picture, I didn't want her to get attached and then something happened. So I focused on her for the past 19 years. It was my career and her. That was it. Um, so now that she's out of the house now it's like oh now what do i do because every day it was mental health appointments it was medical appointments it was school functions it was you know work that now i didn't know what to do with myself because i didn't have a social life i didn't have activities to do i didn't have passions for things because i didn't have time or money for it everything focused around my daughter so now it's about trying to get me finding out who I am again, because like I said, I was 18 when I had her. So I didn't have your normal, typical, you know, coming of age or finding out who you are and what you want. It has always been about her. So now, I mean, I still work all the time, unfortunately, with my job, but at least now I have time where I can go out with friends if I want, or I can go out to a movie or restaurants or you know, um, I'm trying to find things that I like to do, activities that I can do, hobbies. I started picking up geocaching. So I really like geocaching where I go out and find little treasures and stuff. And there's like a whole community for it. Um, but I don't think my daughter would have dealt been good if I even tried having more kids or anything like that. Because unfortunately, it was always about her. And I think she knew it. And I think with her mental illness too, with her social, her separation anxiety and stuff, she always had to be the number one. So even if like I was around other kids, like friends that had kids, and if I would like play with them or spend more time with them or like hug them, she would get extremely jealous. So I kind of limited myself and, you know, made sure she always felt important, but I think it kind of backfired on me at some times as well. Yeah, I can relate to that. Just, I mean, it seems like you just poured all of your resources into your daughter and working, mm -hmm. working for your daughter. And it's like, where would another one have even fit? <laughs> like, yeah, I have no, I don't even know where I would have the money or the time for another one. And I think because she, you know, she, she wasn't your, like I said, your normal kid that she had all this other stuff going on that I was afraid. I think because I was a young mom too, I was always afraid of what people thought of me. I was, I didn't, everyone always kind of thought I would be like a statistic and I didn't want that. So I made sure that she always had a nice place to live. She always had, you know, 
top of the line thing. She, you know, I always made sure that they couldn't come, like nobody could come back and say, oh, well, you lived in poverty or you live this or however it was, because for me, it was people always put the past their judgment on me when I was young that I, I put a lot of time and effort into her that, you know, like as most parents would, but I just wanted to make sure that, you know, she always knew that she was loved and that, you know, like that I worked because of her and that, you know, I never put anything else before her. And that was hard. Be, and I think it's hard when you're a single parent compared to when you have more children and you're, you have a husband and a wife in a normal family situation, you know, like, I think the dynamics are just so different with that when it's just me and her, that's all we had to focus on. We didn't have anything else. Right. Yeah. It's definitely a unique situation, which is why I was so excited to have you. And, and I'm, I know this is going to be so helpful for so many women. So knowing everything that we talked about, where you've been, everything that happened for the past 19 years and where you guys are now, what do you wish you knew before, either earlier in motherhood or before pregnancy? What do you wish you knew before? Um, I think that it really does take like a village to raise a child. Like you need support from family and friends. And it's very hard to manage like a work schedule, you know, a school schedule, childcare, emergency situations. Like I never thought of that. Like when I had my daughter, I never thought of anything else. Like I never thought of like, what's going to happen in the future? What's going to happen, you know, tomorrow? Or like, how am I going to do this? Like those thoughts. And I don't know if it's because I was just so young. It never crossed my mind. I just took it one day at a time and just focused on that. So I think for me, I just wish I, I really knew, like, you need help. You know, it's extremely hard to do it on your own. Mm-hmm. What would you tell yourself back then if you could talk to that woman now? Mm-hmm. Take one day at a time and don't stress so much about the future or what other people think. It's, parenting is just so hard, you know, there's, and there's no right or wrong way. And you have to do what is best for your situation and your lifestyle, you know? And I think that was hard because I always compared myself to other people and other families. And I guess now I'd like, I shouldn't have focused on that or, you know, trying to focus or trying to strive for what other people's ideas were that I should be. I just needed to focus on me and my daughter and what is best for us and everything else will fall into place. You know, like, I believe God has had a plan for us and he never gives us too much. And um, I think for me, it was just, I wish I would have told her, you know, just take one day at a time and just enjoy the time you have each day. Absolutely. I love that. What is other than what you've already said important for other moms to know? Um, I think that you're going to be pushed to your limits every single day, either. I mean, physical, emotional, intellectually. I mean, I, I don't even know how I'm still sane and not on medications. Like, you know, like after dealing with everything that like, I think for parents, it's just, you're going to learn and you're going to love, you're going to learn to love your children unconditionally and you're going to grow as a person and you need to take time for yourself and allow yourself to be pampered and not feel guilty about it. That, you know, when you have those hard days, you know, it's okay to take some time for yourself. And whether it's maybe coffee with a friend or just locking yourself in the bathroom for 10 minutes so you can just have time to yourself or whatever it might be, 
just focus on your mental health as well as your family's because if you're not strong enough then you know it's going to be harder to deal with those times but i think it helps you it helps you grow each day mm-hmm. why do you think it's important to do and go through hard things um i think you get a deeper sense of yourself and a purpose um I think you can learn to appreciate things more and it helps you go through harder times because I think it can lead to more empathy and maybe wanting to do better, act better. Um, I think it shows you how strong you really can be and that you can get through it. And I think it's a good lesson for next time and it's a growing phase. For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.